Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Modern Classrooms podcast. My name is Zach Diamond and I'm taking over hosting duties this week from Kareem and Kate because we are going to be talking about modern classrooms in middle school and I am a middle school music teacher. I'm joined this week by Nora Barnett who is returning to the podcast. She's been on an episode before. Nora is a math teacher at Patrick Henry Elementary and Middle School in Alexandria, Virginia. Nora, I know you've been on before, but can you give listeners just a refresher on who you are, what you teach, and how you came into the modern classrooms world? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I'll say it's so nice to be back. I have loved listening to these podcasts, so I'm honored to be able to to be on one again. I taught sixth grade math through Teach for America outside of Boston. Um, I taught one year of fifth grade in Boston as well, but really missed teaching middle school, believe it or not, and missed teaching just math. So I moved back to teaching sixth grade math. I became a Modern Classrooms Fellow um, in the summer of 2019. Um, And I'm, as Zach said, currently teaching sixth grade math outside of DC um, in Alexandria. Cool. Yeah, this this one's interesting. We had an episode last week about elementary school modern classrooms, and this is sort of turning into a little series almost. Uh, we did not do that on purpose, but it works great. <laughs> so, so let's just get started. I want to start the discussion by framing middle school. It's interesting because elementary school and high school both have much more obvious needs and they're unique in much more obvious ways. While middle school is kind of like this bridge between the two, it's just tougher to put your finger on exactly what middle schoolers need. So I'm wondering if we can try and pin that down to frame our discussion. So in your in your estimation, what do what do middle school teachers have to take into account as opposed to elementary and high school stu- uh, teachers? What is our unique position as middle school teachers? Well, I think I think it's a really great question and kind of a hard one to answer because as I think a lot of listeners might agree with, middle school is kind of a hard time for everyone. There's a lot going on. As a sixth grade teacher in particular, I feel like I'm kind of the bridge between that elementary world where you're really in like a small, close-knit class with one teacher. And in sixth grade, there's now they're now switching between classes. They have multiple teachers. They have grades for the first time. So it's really this introduction into this brand new schooling that they're going to be experiencing basically for the next eight, 10 years, whatever it is. So that that I think is really important as middle school teachers. We're really setting the stage for them to learn how to be high school students, college students, and beyond. Yeah, I agree. I I teach all three middle school grades, sixth, seventh, and eighth. And I feel like we should clarify for listeners who are in the U.S., we're talking about kids who are between 11 and 13, 14 years old. So those are our sixth, seventh, and eighth grades. I teach all three, but I have a sixth grade homeroom. And and it really is true. You know, it's a completely different structure of school for them. And I think that that's one of the ways in which middle school looks more like high school. But but really, you know, those sixth graders, they're they're basically just big fifth graders. They're coming from a completely different world. They come in all they come in all bright eyed and bushy, all like ready to to take over the world. I don't know if you have found that in the first day of school, but they all come in kind of, what's going on? What do I do? I absolutely have. And it's funny because by the second half of the year, they're like seventh graders. And then yeah, yeah. by the time they're in eighth grade, they're like little ninth graders. It's, exactly. it's such a fast, a fast time of transition. How do, how do you think modern classrooms in particular allows you to accommodate that specifically unique situation of sort of like a transition into a whole new structure of school and sort of a preparatory sense of looking forward to the next eight maybe even college 10 years of of education for these kids. 
Well, I think Modern Classrooms is kind of built on like how to foster learners for life. We're really giving students skills that they will need to be successful in whatever field they choose. We're letting them practice how to watch a video to learn a skill, to practice that skill, to apply that skill into a different way, a different median. So I think Modern Classrooms inherently has that, like how do you become a good student um, built in. And I, I think that Modern Classrooms just gives teachers so much space to work with individual kids in whatever capacity those kids need, whether the kid is kind of a young, even though they're in middle school, maybe they still kind of have that elementary immaturity. You're able to work with them to build those study habits because you have that extra time because kids are working at their own pace, doing their own lessons. So I think that's kind of the the basic building block that modern classroom gives you as, as a teacher is just you have the space and flexibility to work with kids throughout this difficult transition. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a great point. I feel like that sort of meta learning, that metacognitive level of learning that happens in a modern classroom uh, is really, really important, especially as you get into the older grades and start dealing with content that will be applicable in your college and, you know, your career, um, which might not necessarily be the case in middle school, although obviously everything builds on itself. I think a really important thing about middle school that I, I have never taught elementary school and I've only taught ninth grade in high school, so I don't want to come across the wrong way, but I think that one of the really important things in middle school is relationships. And that's obviously true in all the grades, but I think that the the transitional nature of middle school and the age that these kids are at is a time when they, they really, really need a positive adult presence in their life. And they need to see school in a positive way. Absolutely. You know, when you talked about sort of setting the stage for what, what's to come, and I think that this is one of the times when, you know, I, I guess elementary school, I imagine, I have a daughter in elementary school and I see her classes and I see her friends and, you know, they're much more confident in who they are and then by the time they're in high school, they're also, they've sort of gone through the transition and are again becoming a little bit more confident. And I feel like middle school kids are trying on personalities. They're trying to figure out who they are, who they want to be. They have this very like refined sense of what's cool. And yeah, yeah. And it, it, I really feel like being the school, me personally, like representing the school in a way that's cool to them is possible in a modern classroom, to bring this back to what I originally asked you. You know what I mean? Because you can sit down with a kid. You have a lot more freedom in a classroom to sit down with a kid and just chat with them. Exactly, exactly. You have those like kind of built-in check-in spaces because kids are working and you can pull small kids. I've had countless conversations about like friendship issues, both with both students, individual students, trying to figure out what's going on all at the same time that students in the class are working on their math. Um, I feel like there's so many different social pressures, as you mentioned, different friendships. Kids are trying to figure out who they want to be. I feel like I've had boyfriend-girlfriend drama in the classroom as well. Middle schoolers are trying to, as you said, just figure out who they are and how they fit in with their peers. Yeah. And I think also, specifically with modern classrooms, you know, the idea of a lecture in some ways I feel like is almost antithetical to, to honoring that that time of their lives because you're basically telling them to to be a certain type of student. If that's not the kind of student that they want to be, you might turn them off to the idea of school entirely and you're setting them on a on a on a bad path that way. And so I've personally found modern classrooms just to be a lot more relaxed in the sense of like I'm I really feel like I am, even if I don't interact with every kid every day, which I, I rarely do, I feel like I'm still 
giving them that sort of positive feeling about school in a time when I feel like that's really important to them. Yeah, I think that's a really awesome way of putting it and thinking about it. I, I think if kids can feel successful in some capacity in school, they'll just have that much more of a positive relationship at, with it going forward. And that can only benefit their, their education and just how they, how they approach learning in general, whether that's in the classroom or outside. Totally. So let's, let's get a little bit more specific. We've talked about middle school being a transition or kind of a bridge between these two very, very distinct phases of school, elementary and high school. But even within middle school, uh, you know, in middle school, is this? It's a strangely short time in which kids undergo major changes. Their minds and their bodies are going through so much different stuff. And I've found I do teach all three grades in a single classroom in a single group of twenty twenty five kids. You can have kids at wildly different levels of development. And so, how do you think modern classroom helps you to deal with that? Well, I, I think again, it just kind of stems from it's built on letting teachers meet students at their actual needs, wherever, whatever level they are. That means social and academic. I have different levels of, of lessons, the must do, should do, aspire to do lessons to kind of meet students academically. But that also within that space where I provide those different tiers of lessons, there's that room to have those relationship building conversations and, hey, what are those, what studies, what study skills do you need? What are you doing after school? Um, let me make you a checklist. Let me make this graphic organizer for you. All those things um, modern classrooms allows teachers to kind of build in because it gives them that space and that time to do that with kids because you know the kids better because you have that extra time with them. And I also think what you said about like moving away from the lecture has really allowed me to to just meet those kids at those specific points and, and know what specific tips to give them or maybe try um, writing your homework on your agenda this way or give a little box that you can check off or use a highlighter to like show that you've completed something. Those little tiny things I can do now because I'm not spending class lecturing and I'm just, I'm working with kids' actual needs in the moment. Yeah. And I think that it's important to emphasize the the way that it can be individual kids. And when you say their needs, I, I com- it completely resonates with me because I I do this every day. Like I look at the pacing tracker and the pacing tracker is sort of a very objective way of of seeing those different needs in data. And I can look at that and say, okay, this particular kid needs my help today. So I'm going to put him and then this other kid here and then this other kid here. I'm going to put them into breakout rooms and I can work with them. Or in, you know, in physical class, we would, I would go and check in with them or I would call them over to my desk. I think also just having that, that sort of freedom when I think of developmentally where kids are at i mean academically and i also mean in how how much of a kid they still think they are you know like a sixth grade especially they're still little kids and and then you have some sixth graders who want to be like eighth graders and who want to look all cool and you know you have some kids in the middle and so i feel like having the self-pacing isn't just academic for me it's also sort of like you know i can let kids work at their own pace in a social way as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think modern classrooms allow students to work in like a really um, genuine collaboration because they can talk to their friends about the questions that they're on. And you're not just t- forcing them to talk at a certain moment. When they have a question, they can look at kids who are on the same lessons that, that they are on and say, hey, what did you do for this question? How did you get that answer? How come your work looks different than mine? So it has that kind of 
more fluid, productive peer collaboration kind of built in. I also really think that Modern Classrooms provides a really solid structure for a lot of kids that middle schoolers really kind of crave. Um, I think at the beginning of the year, it can be a little bit tricky for, for I think anyone probably, but I know my middle schoolers take a little bit of time to get into the routine of every single lesson, every single unit kind of having that same progression. Um, but having that consistency, having the lesson and the notes, um, and then the assignment and the practice, the application, and then you have that mastery check to see how did you do in that lesson. When that's repeated over and over again, kids really thrive in that consistency. They know what's coming. They know what to expect. And I think it frees up space in their mind for them to focus on the content. You make a really good point. And, and when you say that, I thought back to my, my first years as a teacher and I would always hear in professional development and from other really good teachers, I would always hear, you have to have strong routines. You have to have classroom routines, right? And I never exactly understood how to do that, like what to actually do. And Modern Classrooms is that. Right. It gives you that. <laughs> yeah. And it gives you it in a way that's so clear that you can have a Modern Classroom in a kindergarten. Right. Like the kids get it. It's not complicated and that's good for them. And it's also good for me as a teacher. But you make a great point about how for them, like, it gives them structure. And I, I feel like a lot of times kids struggle because they just don't know what they're expected to do. That's where that routine thing comes from, where good teachers know, like, kids can succeed when they know what to do. And that comes from having the routine. And Modern Classrooms is just a great routine, I think, for that, whether it's kindergarten or 12th grade. You also made a great point about having kids work together and having kids collaborate. Uh, I know I work with sixth graders, too, and I... There actually can be some tricky like group dynamics with younger kids. How do you use the model or just in general, how do you promote productive and also positive group work where you don't have that kind of drama that that young kids who are trying to act like big kids can get themselves caught up in? It's such a good question. I, I use my progress tracker um, to determine where, where students will be working, what groups they'll be in, who they'll be working with. And, and I, I even like, assign when I'm in the classroom, that is, I assign seats to every kid. So even if I have five kids working on lesson two, I might split them up into two groups if I know that these two kids don't really work well together. Or I want to foster a friendship between these two other kids that I think really can use that um, positive relationship with a, with a friend. So I'm, I'm constantly using that progress tracker to determine those groups and and to give students a chance to work with students that I think they'll be successful with. I, I also use the pacing tracker. It's sort of like ad hoc on any given day, you can come up with a new grouping based on where the kids are at. And I, I also, I feel like just the way that in a modern classroom, kids are, are much more free to sort of be who they are. And you don't have that stress of being lectured at and being so conformative. Uh, I feel like I know the kids better and I know who does not want to work together. Absolutely. I know that there are some groups that can, you know, be pretty unproductive and negative in their interactions. And so I won't put them together because I know them. And I, I also think that kids can thrive off of that, like, new peer dynamic. Like, if a kid is – kids in my room, at least, they love to, like, kind of be the master of a topic. And I kind of give kids a special helper role. I'll give them one of my grading pens and they can go help other students if they're struggling with something. And that might be a top student who's kind of always ahead, or it might be a kid that really did a great job on an early lesson. And I want to show that that, that hard work pays off and let him kind of help other students who are still on that. And that gives them that just kind of a positive relationship with, with working with other students in that way and feeling really proud of themselves. So 
that that's also facilitated by modern classrooms because kids kids do master things and they you can show hey you got that mastery check right look how awesome that is go help someone go show the world what you know yeah and i again i think that that is the kind of feeling that a kid it's such a good feeling for a kid yeah and it develops that kind of like strong connection with school being a place that i want to be you know absolutely yeah i I love that i love that you keep coming back to that like making school into a positive place because i think that is so important especially in middle school when kids there's so much going on both at school at home socially um so if we can make school like that safe happy place for them like that's so awesome I really do keep coming back to this, not just tonight, just in, in general, as I as I work through being a teacher, you know, I feel like what what's the most important thing to me? And I feel like, you know, we had Shane Donovan on the podcast several months ago now, and he was talking about academic self-concept, which was just such an eye opener for me because it's like, yeah, if you see yourself being a successful scholar, you'll be one. You'll act out that identity if, if it's who you think you are. And and I really think that middle school is a time probably elementary school too, but middle school is really a time when kids are developing that sense of who they are as a student. I also like, I'm such a big fan of like the whole growth mindset. I mean, everything about growth mindset, I could go on and on and on, but I think modern classrooms really like kind of celebrates mistakes in the way that a good growth mindset does. The whole process of revising an assignment, revising a mastery check until you have mastered something it's just so powerful. And I think just having that revision, that mistake revision progression in every single lesson is such a powerful pattern to see. And, and I really try to celebrate those mistakes in class. And I, I love that modern classrooms like allows teachers to do that. And in middle school in particular, I think it's so important to, to be like, hey, it's okay to make a mistake. We all do. You learn from that. That's actually how your brain learns the most when you make a mistake. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's something that kids like they're hyper aware of not making mistakes. They really want to be perfect. And I feel like this is just a very, like, it's almost an unemotional way of making mistakes. It's very simple to get feedback and to revise. And, and I've talked about this before, but kids are initially sort of shocked that they have to go back and revise something, but they get over that in a matter of weeks. And they get that idea, that, that sense of like, I can revise, I can succeed. Even if I, even if I mess up the first time, I can go back and revise it and I can still be successful. The failure is not the end of the story. Yeah. It's like, it's like the important part of the story because everyone's going to fail and everyone's going to make a mistake. And that's, that's how you learn. Yeah. And again, I feel like that's something that it's almost like a cliche to say that you learn from your mistakes, right? Fail forward. And we hear that a lot, but this is a way of really making that explicit and teaching that to kids. Absolutely. And that's so important in middle school when there's so much going on. If we can just reinforce that for all, I mean, all kids, but especially middle schoolers, that you're going to make mistakes. And that's that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, you mentioned how you think that modern classrooms as a model prepares kids for, for high school and beyond K-12 education. Can you go a little bit deeper on that? Um, like, how do you how do you leverage the model to to prepare kids, specifically to prepare kids for what's beyond middle school? Yeah, I think I touched on this a little bit already, but just just the fact that modern classrooms like is building student skills in and of itself. I'm teaching content through the videos and the notes and the assignments, but in doing that, I'm also teaching students how to organize their resources, to take notes, to look back at their notes, to use a video, to go back and to watch, to learn that skill. How do they manage their time? Are they spending 20 minutes of class just staring off into space? Or are they using that time to ask a friend a question or to revisit the video? 
just all those student skills that are so important for middle school success, but also high school and college success as well. I think if we can get kids into that mindset of, oh, I, I can actually do something about being confused. I can I can learn if I keep trying, if I make these mistakes, that's that's going to set them up for success later on. I'm, I'm curious, like how that type of teaching manifests in your classroom. When do those moments come up or is it built into your lessons? Is it built into your curriculum in like checkpoints or something? Or do you just have it in informal interactions with kids? Yeah, I, I think it's it kind of comes in those conversations in the in the check-ins both academic and social if a student is confused on a question I'll ask have you checked your notes maybe go back and watch the second half of the video so I'm giving that like oh use your resources that little nudge that guidance on what to do so that next time maybe they'll think oh let me check my notes first yeah those conversations are often like well have you used your time did you did you actually do some work over the weekend? Did you review this? And and that just building that like in those little check-in conversations that happen so often because I have that time and space, we can build those skills without even having to make it like a big lesson or let's talk about time management. We're just we're teaching that time management through each lesson. Yeah, yeah, totally. I do a very similar thing. It's almost like I'm leaning on the model itself to to provide those moments. And it does because kids do occasionally fall behind and, and they do occasionally get a lesson wrong. And and so these moments present themselves when they didn't before. And, you know, I don't like build it into my lesson videos. You know, if you look at my lesson videos, it's purely musical content. I teach music. But um, you know, I put here in the outline, and I'm almost scared to ask this because I'm I'm a special teacher, right? Like I teach music, but I put in the outline: Do we prioritize content, or do we prioritize the development of that strong academic identity, or do we balance both? And I feel like, even though I don't put this in my videos, I'm always thinking, at in every moment that I'm teaching, actively teaching, like in a class, how am I promoting these sort of soft skills or these meta learning, metacognitive skills? All right. Well, we are going to take a short break. We're going to hear a love from our teachers that Kate has lined up for us. And we will be back in just a few moments. Hello, educators. Kate here. We really enjoy hearing how the modern classroom's professional development has impacted teachers. In this week's Love from Our Teachers segment, we hear from Erin Blazer, a math educator in Seattle. And I identify so much with what she shares in this message. Hi, my name is Erin Blazer, and I teach math, fifth and sixth grade math in the Seattle, Washington area. Um, I have really enjoyed becoming a part of this whole Modern Classrooms project. Um, 2020 for everyone has been different and, you know, just bizarre in so many ways. And um, I just feel so grateful to sort of have this new pep in my step as it comes to teaching. I um, have had all sorts of kind of components of what the modern classroom provides floating around to try and stuff out, trying to kind of piece it together on my own. And it's been so awesome to have this sort of structure um, that just helps it all come together pretty seamlessly. Um, I've been really lucky to be working with a mentor. Um, who, you know, is, is just so fun to brainstorm with. I think that's something I've really, really missed um, being in fully remote kind of teaching setting. I really miss being able to pop into people's classrooms and just share ideas and ask for help. And um, so that's been really nice to have a mentor to be able to kind of bounce ideas off of. So thank you so much for providing um, 
you know, putting yourselves out there and kind of going on other podcasts. I happen to hear about this through a different podcast. Um, now I just can't get enough. I, I listen nonstop to your guys' podcast, trying to kind of catch up. Um, and it's been really fulfilling and really motivating um, to me, which um, trickles down, obviously, to my students, which is the goal. So thank you. Erin, thank you so much for sharing this and reaching out. If you want to send us some love and be featured, see the show notes for details. And as always, visit modernclassrooms.org to learn how you can start your journey through the virtual mentorship program today. All right, welcome back. So I want to narrow the focus a little bit now. We've been talking somewhat about the model, but more generally about middle school. I want to talk about specific practices in our classrooms and ways that we use and we adapt the model in a middle school focused way. You know, modern classrooms was originally conceived of and and implemented in high school classrooms. Kareem Farah, the the co-founder of the model, and of course, my co-host here on the podcast, was a high school math teacher. Kate Gaskell, also a co-host on the podcast, was a high school history teacher. So my first introduction to the model in person was actually Kareem's IB math classroom, actually. It was a 12th grade class that I got to observe. And so when I when I first started rolling out the model, I basically just did that. And I've talked on the podcast before about how I've, I had trouble with my sixth grade students my youngest students, because there wasn't enough structure for them. And so I'm curious, what modifications, how did you adapt the high school model, specifically with middle schoolers in mind when you first rolled it out? I think I think the biggest thing I did was just try to break it down. I mean, I, I've taught middle schoolers now for, for quite a few years. So I, I kind of I knew that the simpler it could be, the better, but I knew that the structure would still work. It just had to be presented in a really clear and simple way. So I created um, like a unit zero where I kind of introduce the model to the students and have them practice it before they even start doing any content. So they're watching a video, doing a really quick kind of easy assignment, just like a, did you watch the video basically? And do you know the basics of this model? So they can feel successful. They can practice that progression of the video and notes assignment mastery check. And I think that has been really helpful for students and just how do you present modern classrooms to them in a really clear, simple way and then have them practice that. I also made sure to just do a lot of things I did before I did modern classrooms, like organize my room in a really kind of colorful way. Um, i posted posters about the different steps of modern classrooms all around so kids would be able to refer to it, kind of quizzing my students on what are the steps of the modern classrooms project in the beginning. So that kind of becomes a part of their headspace. Something else I did too was just make the progress tracker, the pacing tracker, I think you've referred to it as, as like a physical thing. So I know a lot of teachers in high school, and I had seen this um, as well, just kind of post it, project it up onto the board. But I wanted it to be this big, physical, permanent thing in the classroom so kids could really see it and understand it. And so I have, um, when I was in the classroom, I would have it in my back whiteboard with little magnets with kids' names on it. So they could actually physically go and move their name from lesson five to lesson six. And they loved doing that. They'll ask me like all the time, can I move it? Can I move it? Um, and so that just making those kind of little tweaks to make it a little bit more friendly or warm and welcoming, I think were, were really helpful. And the last thing I'll just say, too, is I really like to, to use a lot of color, kind of goes with the warm and welcoming. But my videos, I really try to add pictures and colors as much as possible. 
Yeah, just and to I make think it. also you're appealing to the sort of little kid that's still inside there. Uh, that's what I, I imagine an elementary school classroom looking like that, and and I feel like that's not patronizing to these kids because they're still they're still, you know, eleven years old. They're not even teenagers yet. I will say that the the thing that did not work for me was the lack of structure at the outset of a of a lesson or of a I guess not a lesson but a class period. My sixth graders would just walk in, and it took me it took a lot of work to get them you know watching the Ed Puzzle videos, getting their guided notes packets from the from the the folders, or it just didn't feel like there was a clear sense of what to do because they're still sort of little kids expecting to be told what to do, uh, you know, that was tough for me. Older kids were able to get their head around it much quicker. Do you do you have any kind of routines as the kids are walking in or things that you do to help them get started at the beginning of class? Yeah, I always have the first like five to 10 minutes. It's just kind of a do now, which is um, a check-in question where they can tell me how they're feeling, tired, happy, sad. I have like a little emoji scale that they can circle the emoji because I think that appeals to middle schoolers um, and after that little like kind of mental check-in then there's a couple math questions to get them in their seats to get them thinking about um, the material we're working on and then after that we'll we'll usually talk about the do now question for a few moments and then they'll get right into their um, independent work which is when they all go to their they're assigned seats and they start working on whatever lesson they're on. And I think that's made a really positive environment to start off the class because the kids come in, they have their do nows on their desks and they just, they know to start working. And I'm, that's a really good chance for me to start some of those individual check-ins to see who's circling the sad face um, emoji that I can go and be like, Hey, what's going on? How's your day going? So that's been a really, one of my favorite parts of, of class. I think that's also really interesting way of helping or supporting the kids with that transition from mainly being in one classroom with one teacher for most of the day to having like, you know, seven or eight different periods in the day, helping them sort of just like know what to do when they walk in. Yeah, that kind of goes back to the routine that they now have all these different teachers, different expectations, but they always know when they come into math, they're going to have that same structure, that same progression through, through, through material. Right. Yeah. In my classroom, I did I just started taking out their their notes packets myself and setting them on their on their tables, which is not something that I was doing. And I learned like they're not going to go and get it, <laughs> so I did it for them. And then they started taking notes more more consistently, little tweaks like that, which you know I I saw the kids in Kareem and Kate's classrooms just sort of doing it. I did see them in May, so maybe they they had really ingrained the routines. But I think the little kids, especially sixth graders, need need something like that, just little things to help them jumpstart the just the being in the class kind of a feeling right I, I don't think I mentioned this before but I kind of always imagine like middle school and especially six squares is like just like holding their hand or just like walking them through things or giving them a lot of really clear explicit directions kind of giving them a lot of little hints guidances to help them through um, and maybe a way that high school you wouldn't see and in, in elementary you'd see even more of but we're, we're just holding their hand we're not doing it for them but we're, we're walking with them yeah I feel like it's also important to to talk about um because I teach I teach other grades I teach seventh and eighth grade and I feel like a lot of these things you wouldn't do with eighth graders because eighth graders are, are almost fiercely independent they want to be and and they can be more rebellious and, and you know if you, if they feel like they're being told what to do at all they can they can sort of react in a negative way to that. And so, you know, I, I, I didn't make any 
modifications consciously for my older students, but I did start like sneaking in some of the stuff I was doing for the sixth graders and it helped. I just had to find ways to do it. It didn't feel like I was holding their hand, which is an interesting thing to say because with my sixth graders, I completely agree with you, but it just goes to show how much these kids change in two years. An eighth grader is nothing like a sixth grader. I think that they, they perceive it as being patronizing if you do elementary school stuff with them. Because they're like, I'm too old for this. I'm too cool for this. And that's who they are. I think that that's the experience of being with them, the way you have to act around them. It's just completely different as a teacher. Yeah, I, I would imagine that's the case from my limited interactions with, with eighth graders. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I really feel like they thrive in a modern classroom because it's they are so independent and the routine is so clear. They just love that. Like, I, I have some eighth graders who like, they like my class, but they're like, never talk to me. I'm, I'm going to do this all myself. And they do. They actually do it. They like to feel like they have agency and they, they're taking care of themselves and they do. And I feel like especially students that I had last year as seventh graders in a modern classroom, they're totally set. Like they could n- never even meet me this year. And in some cases they haven't because we're <laughs> remote. But well, that's actually let's talk about that a little bit. Touching on the the current reality. Are are you still teaching remotely entirely or are you hybrid or? Yes. Yes. We are still um, totally remote right now. Right. So are we. Um, what strategies have you employed in remote learning to support these sort of like this transitional phase, the unique social and emotional needs of, of middle schoolers? That's a good question. I think um, I think I in general try to do a lot of what I would do in the classroom I have that same kind of energy, that same really showing a lot of excitement for material, which I think really gets middle schoolers excited and and buys them in. If you're excited, they're going to be excited about things. I I have kind of started to, instead of having that do now routine I I mentioned earlier, I start with a kind of a fun question. Would you rather give up your phone or your computer? Or if you had $10 right now, where would you go and what would you buy with that $10? So kind of a fun little thing just to, to lighten up um, their schooling because they're just sitting in the front of the computers for, for hours at a time. Um, so I think that has been something I've added in and just to, to show the kids that I care about them as people. And despite the fact that we're not in a classroom, I still, I still want to get to know them and I still care about what they're thinking. Um, a little bit more academically focused. I, I've been um, creating breakout rooms for students on different levels. Um, I create rooms for my special helpers, kids who have completed lessons, who I know they can work with another student who's struggling. Um, I create breakout rooms in a similar way that I would I would structure working with um, a struggling group of students or provide a room for a co-teacher. Um, so that's been really helpful to do as well. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I also use the breakout rooms pretty liberally because sometimes, especially with those eighth graders who just want to be left alone, they still can have like a direct line to me on Zoom. They can call me into their breakout room from the breakout room itself. With some of my classes, I've started doing this thing where I will just assign a breakout room to every individual student. Or I'll say, if you want to, you can just stay here in the main room with me and I'll we can hang out while you work and you can ask me questions on the mic whenever. Or some kids will go into their breakout room and and call me in if they need me, or they might not. And then they'll just, I'll call them back at the end of class and say, all right, see you all on Wednesday or whatever. And that's been really effective for me because I feel like it gives kids agency in how they interact with me and with each other. Like if if they want to hang out in in a Zoom room with multiple people, they can stay in the main room and chat with me about 
whatever because I'll I'll engage them on whatever they want to talk about. Yeah, I think I think I, I have done that too. A lot of times, kids will be watching a video and they can't be in the main room because I'm helping another kid or I'm sharing my screen with another kid. So they ask to go into a breakout room, and I think I think I agree with what you said completely. They they like having that autonomy and they like having that ability to be like, I want to go into a private area to focus or I want to come back into this room to, to ask a question. And I, I've used that too. Just, I want a really small group just with me. I want everyone else working on their own Yeah. and I can have a five or six kids just with me in the main room and everyone else is in a breakout room. Yeah. It's like kind of the opposite of putting a small group into a breakout room. It's like you put everybody else into breakout rooms and you stay with. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the key to that is sort of framing it in the way of like, you're still here. You're just working independently as if you were working independently in the classroom. I actually feel like in some ways it's more productive independent work. Obviously, in distance learning, we lose a major social component of what school is. But, you know, students don't work as well independently in an actual physical classroom as they do in a Zoom breakout room, I found. Yeah, because they're, they're just totally by themselves. Yeah, I see them. They're still G-chatting with me and with each other. And they're not like completely alone any more than they are alone in the main room, right? They're alone in their house. But I, I really, really have enjoyed that. And I'm glad you brought it up. I also, I want to give a shout out to the chat. The chat, I feel like, is just a really fantastic modality that I never considered before now. Because why chat with students when you're in the classroom with them? But but now it's like, I'm starting to see in the way that they chat, in the abbreviations and like weird expressions they use, this is one of the ways they feel comfortable interacting with each other. And again, it kind of goes back to that that identity piece, right? Where... You know, the kids, if they see like school lets me chat and, and interact in the way that I'm used to interacting you know, naturally with my friends, it kind of strengthens that connection. Do you do you use the chat with your students or do you mostly talk to them? I do, although I have it just so they can talk to me. So I don't I don't know if you have that setting as well. Or I do for some classes. It depends on the class because some kids will basically behave in the chat and then other kids will go off on weird, weird, weird tangents they're, they're middle schoolers, so yes, <laughs> we can... <laughs> yes. We we felt that it was. I think my whole my whole team has disabled the chat except to the teacher. Um, but as you said, I I do like that. I think it gives kids a space to like tell me something they might not feel comfortable saying, but will tell me in the chat or ask a question or, or that kind of social check in. Um, and I've also used it for academic, just like keeping them engaged. So I'll have them put in the chat what the reciprocal of one half is or what's the answer to this question so I can keep a tab on them and get that like whole group questions or this even just in that small group um, get them participating yeah that's like a really easy and natural sort of classroom protocol it's a check for understanding that you would do in a regular classroom in a physical classroom and it would be more labor intensive on your part probably because the chat is right there and it's easy to use right right all right well that was interesting. I mean, middle school is interesting. <laughs> we know this. I mean, it's it's just such a strange time. It's such a short period with so much so much change and it's I really feel like I as I was planning this outline, I struggled to decide like how how can we talk about middle school in a way that's different from high school and elementary because they have so much overlap with both, but I guess to close the discussion talking about that balance, talking about that combination of elements of both elementary and high school. How do you leverage the model, or just in general, how do you balance 
the sort of academic rigor of preparing students for more difficult content with sort of the little kid joy and, and fun that we want to see in, a, in a, a really positive middle school classroom. Well, I think I, I touched on this a little bit. I just, I, I feel like I, I have found that when I'm really enthusiastic and engaged and excited about something, even if I don't really feel that way, it, it kind of builds in the class. It makes the kids, at least middle schoolers, at least sixth graders really buy in to what I'm teaching. If I can say that dividing fractions is the best thing you're ever going to do, like then some kids will roll their eyes. But I think more or less like they're like, oh, okay, this sounds kind of cool. Um, so I like to build in that enthusiasm and that excitement um, as much as possible. I also think, I think you mentioned this in the very beginning, that building relationships is so important for all students, but especially middle schoolers. And I think sharing little parts about myself, um, what happened in my day, how I started making smoothies or how I'm trying to drink more water, just little things like that, little silly things, I think also really helps create an environment where kids can be kids and can we can share joy together and fun stories and hear about their weekends while still letting students know that we're, we are going to be getting work done. We are going to be moving through these lessons. And I do expect them to to work hard, to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. Now, those relationships are so important, especially with sixth graders. I mean, in, I would I will say in eighth grade, like those eye roll moments are much, 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 much more common. <laughs> and I think that they they also like more genuinely think that you're not cool if you <laughs> if you wind up with too many of those. But yeah, I mean, I completely agree. The relationships piece is just so central in middle school in general, but really in middle school. And I think that the way that you form those relationships is by listening to the kids. I feel like the model itself provides academic rigor. As long as the curriculum provides enough of a challenge to be academically rigorous, the, the model itself teaches them that school can be challenging, but also a challenge that they can overcome. I just feel like for me, the little kid moments, and even with the eighth graders, those little kid moments still come out sometimes. They are, they happen in the interactions that I have with them, but, but, but only if I listen, like only if I let them say the weird things that they're into and don't shut them down and tell them to go and focus. You know, like they'll talk to me about Fortnite. They'll talk to me about Among Us. Just listening to them and hearing the, the stuff they have to say, those little kid moments come out. And even if, it, even if it's an eighth grader who's not a little kid anymore necessarily, like they, there can still be joy in a middle school classroom. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that's so important. I think that listening is, is such an important part of building those relationships and knowing what kids like. And, and I love those moments when you do you do see that little kid joy. It's really it's really fun. Yeah. Well, Nora, thank you so much for coming back and, and joining me again to talk about middle school. This has really been fun. I mean, I I feel like as a specials teacher, as a music teacher, I don't have the same sort of pressure that content teachers do. But I really am happy to hear like we have such similar sensibilities about school, and I feel like the modern classrooms model really really makes that possible. Yeah. You know, it, it makes it so that in any kind of classroom in middle school, kids can sort of be who they are and, and we can form those relationships. So thank you so much for, for joining me tonight. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. All right, folks. Well, remember, you can always learn more about the work of the Modern Classrooms Project at modernclassrooms.org. And you can take the free course to build your own modern classroom at learn.modernclassrooms.org. Those links, of course, will be in the show notes for this week's episode. 
So have a great rest of your week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms podcast. Bye, everyone. Thank you.